is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, Congress has not negotiated in good faith for many years on immigration. They failed to do their job, and I, and I think it's a large part of why, how the yeah. president got elected and why this continues to be a big issue. I think most Democrats and Republicans believe in border security. They have a different way of coming at it. That's a question Chuck Schumer is going to have to ask. You know, he was in that boat a few years ago, and, and it didn't work well for Chuck Schumer during the Schumer shutdown. But ultimately, there's an opportunity for an agreement to be reached here. And it's all about border security, and $5 billion is the number. If there's any shutdown, it's on President Trump's back. The Republicans are in control of the presidency, the House, and the Senate. A shutdown is on their back. The plan is we've got to get $5 billion for the wall. And, you know, we're in a situation now where we've actually provided funding for our military. We've provided funding for labor and HHS and the same appropriations bill. That's been completed. That's been signed. Uh, and the president's been clear that, that he's willing to shut down the government if we don't get this $5 billion. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being here today at the Stacey on the Right Show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We are excited. We have a fantastic show for you. We're going to be speaking with Carmine Sabia. He is the uh, editor over at The Federalist, and he's going to be chatting with us. Going to be talking a little bit about, um, you know, current events, namely the, the caravan, the wall, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and a few other choice topics we're going to have with him. We'll be taking your calls this hour Please do take a note of the number. It's 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. And we'll be so happy to chat with you about news of the day, any, any topics you want to bring up. Uh, but right now, I want to get into our daily confession, which is Psalm 119, verses 1 through 10. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. I will praise thee with uprightness of heart. When I shall have learned thy righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to your word? With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. This is one of the fantastic, I mean, all Psalms are amazing and really great for our soul. But this is one of those, it just, it, it gets you geared up for the fight. And it's, it's a fight, yeah, but it's also just a daily walk. And that means sometimes you get a bit weary. Sometimes your feet hurt. Sometimes you're, you're not sure, am, am I doing this thing right? When we address ourselves to what God has given us to do, we can be assured that we're walking in his way and that we're following his precepts. And that comes through Bible study and fellowshipping with other saints and talking about the goodness of the Lord and praising him for his goodness and looking for ways to see him speaking to us in his creation because his creation sings out the glory of God. So we, we don't have to look far to see the love letters that God has left for us everywhere that we look to speak to not only his creative glory and his, his awesome power and, but his just, it's a, it's a finely tuned sense of caring that he has for us about every aspect of our lives that makes 
just being here on this earth, we just have to be so grateful for that, but even more so for being here in this particular portion of the earth where he is using America to advance the kingdom. And I know we have plenty of people here in this country who are fools who say there is no God, but that's that, that, that doesn't take away from the truth. If I don't believe the sky is blue or if I don't acknowledge the existence of many different species of trees, it doesn't make what I believe or acknowledge so. It just means that I'm uninformed. And so that is the same attitude that we have to take towards those who don't believe as we do. Not that they are our enemy per se, but that we should be trying to bring them in, trying to disciple them into the kingdom. So now I want to turn to, this is such such good stuff. And this is a book that was given to me. Uh, all of us received a copy of this book. If you, It was complimentary by Dr. Mark A. Belisles and Stephen K. McDowell. And the book is, is uh, it's hard for me to describe it really. It's called America's Providential History. And it just has a little bit in here about Christ's teachings on politics and government. And I thought it was perfect for this psalm that I shared with you. And this is so important for us because Oftentimes, we, we believe the lies of the left and, and of those who really hate this country. They don't have to be politically affiliated. They just want to tear down the roots of what this country was founded on. And they'll tell you that, well, God has nothing to do with the founding of America. And it, while it's true, this isn't a Christian nation per se. We don't have a universal uh, mandate that you have to be a Christian in order to be an American. We do have a Judeo-Christian founding that cannot be, you, it can't be erased People can deny it, but it doesn't mean that they're correct. So I have these things here. It's Christ's teachings on politics and government. Now, there are no specific like do one, then do two, then do three in the Bible for what we should do to set up a godly civil government. But God deals in the Bible with the spirit or power of the government by giving certain principles and mandating that we set them up so that we do have a godly form that would follow. Internal liberty moves outward. So when I practice liberty for my own personal edification, for my own individual liberty, when I practice that well and teach it to those in my household and we all practice it well together, then that emanates outward. If many, many millions of Americans practice that same individual liberty and adherence to it, then that radiates outward. And it means that when we all have the same understanding of a thing, we can promote that thing together in unison in a very powerful way. So the Lord is sovereign in human history and government. We can't take God's influence out of human history. We can't take his influence out of government. And those that try to do so are practicing folly. Jesus, once speaking to Pilate, said, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. And this is found in John nineteen eleven. So Jesus is asserting here that the civil authority is delegated and controlled by God. Paul also says in Romans 13, 1, there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. So any person, be they Democrat or Republican, can be used by God to accomplish his purposes. The Bible also says that God turns the head of the ruler whichever way it would go. So we, that's, that's where we come in and cooperate with that through prayer. If we are not praying for those who are elected authority over us, we're ignoring the fact that God is in control of them. And even when they're do practicing wrongdoing, God can turn those actions out for our good. But we have to be praying for that. We have to participate in this process through prayer. Second, the individual has inherent value because he is made in the image of God. 
That's pretty self-explanatory. It's the reason why we fight so hard to stop the practice of taxpayer-funded abortion. It's the reason why we want to have a pro-life ethic that emanates outward from our churches, our homes, our public schools, our private schools, our secular schools, our, our independent schools that they call them themselves, charter schools, you name it. We want everyone to have the same idea that every life is of value, every life matters, and that when you take away from the value of one life, you actually damage the value of all of the lives because once that begins to take root, you see you see that the what emanates out from that. People don't think that other people have value. And so they're fine with murdering, raping, kidnapping, et cetera, et cetera. And that emanates out from this idea that certain people deserve to live and other certain people don't. And it doesn't matter what happens to them. And it's better for them to be aborted. This idea on the left that some people are just better off aborted because it's better to be dead than to be poor or to be born into a family that's not the proper structure, even while they say there is no proper family structure. All of these things go against God's will for us, his good natural order, and we have to fight them. So the individual has inherent value. And you can find out more about that in Matthew 22, 17 through 21. Number three, government exists to serve the common good of every individual. Notice it says every individual, not just the individuals who are wealthy or just the individuals who need government assistance. Government exists to help only the poor. None of those things are accurate. Government exists to serve the common good of every individual. And by common, we mean the good that first does no harm to the other individuals. So in an effort to try to be, you know, we're the, we're the good people, we care about the poor, we want to elevate uh, poor people and help them out of their situation, many, many people on the left believe that others need to be hurt and that it is good to wish for others to be hurt in order to make sure that certain individuals who are already in a, in a sad state, a state of poverty, can be helped, all the while ignoring the fact that Government help doesn't seem to alleviate poverty. We do not have less poverty than we had before we started implementing government programs that mandate that we snatch hard-earned money from some to give to others. That's not the way to end poverty. So Matthew 20, 25 through 28, in context, speaks to a broader view of what Jesus meant when he said, Jesus called them to himself. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great, a governor, New, New King James says a governor, NIV says a ruler, among you shall be your servant. So Jesus is making reference to civil authorities, these people that we elect over us, and is declaring that they are to be public servants. So they're not to be our betters. They're not to be, uh, you know, taken around in, in private vehicles and for us to kowtow and bow to them. They're not to get into public service in order to enrich themselves and to make better, uh, you know, generational decisions for their families and to leave behind generational wealth. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But that is not the point of public service. And when we get to a place where public servants are now demanding that they need dormitories, taxpayer funded, in addition to their $170,000 a year in pay, we've gotten away from this concept. Jesus speaks to civil authorities and declares that they are to be public servants. The purpose of civil government is to serve the people. It is radically opposed to what most governments around the world um, in developing nations, where they have this idea that rulers dominate the people. And really, that's been the prevailing thought 
up until the modern era and the advent of America and other countries kind of imitating us by having constitutions of their own, the civil government is the servant of man. And that idea comes directly from the Bible. It is a Christian concept. And, and this is just another little nail hammer, you know, meet, meet up right there, hear, the, hear the, the pounding sound of the truth that you cannot strip Christianity from the founding of this country. Everything that you see coming out of our founding that is good and lasting stems from the Judeo-Christian influence of the Christian Bible. There is no stripping it away. So number four, civil government and the church have separate jurisdictions. While God cannot be separated from government, the Bible does speak of limits of jurisdiction of the state and the church. Jesus taught that we are to render to Caesar, the state, the things that are Caesar's, and to God, the things that are God, God's. And you can find that in Matthew twenty-two seventeen through 21. So we've already seen that one thing that belongs to the state and not the church is the use of the sword to protect the citizenry. The government is charged with protecting the homeland, securing the border, and maintaining the national defense, not the church. Some things that belong to God and not the state include the worship of God, our children, our own consciences, our lives. In these matters, the state has no authority and should not interfere. These three views of the church-state issue exist today and can be summed up by the pagan view, which is that the state is greater than man and the state is greater than church. Pagans think that the state is its basically God to them. It's everything. Then you have the modern Christian view that God is over the church and state is over the state. But the biblical view is more complex and makes a lot more sense. And it is that God is at the top. And then you have man over each of the three spheres. And the first sphere that man reigns over is the home. Man reigns over the church. And thirdly, man reigns over the state, which means that my little favorite saying about the citizen, the office of citizen being the highest office in the land is absolutely accurate. As people left here to tend the garden by God, we are mandated to rule over our homes, rule over the the proper administration of the church and to be the body and to rule over the state. So we have to order things properly if we want to see things work properly. We're going to delve into this some more over the next few weeks as I work my way through this, this, this piece. It's been fantastic. Right now, we're going to go to the break. When we get back, we will have uh, Carmine Sabia. Stay there. Are you still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. 
That's star star three four five. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a legacy moment. Some time ago, I was invited to speak at an evangelistic outreach. Those organizing the event were doing an outstanding job making sure unbelievers would attend. I was very excited at such a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then they said something that disturbed me. They said, Crawford, we want you to share the gospel and be very clear about the gospel message. But we want you to dwell on the benefits of knowing Christ, the positive stuff, and not to talk about the sufferings of Christ. My heart was saddened, and not because I'm against talking about the benefits of knowing Christ. Our message is indeed positive. Jesus gives joy. He gives forgiveness. He gives hope and a sense of direction. But you cannot experience the benefits of Christ without understanding the cross of Christ. His sufferings are a prerequisite to experiencing his blessing. Listen to what Jesus said himself about his death. In John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33, Jesus says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John goes on to explain this in verse 33. He said this is to show by what kind of death he was going to die. In other words, Jesus says, the means by which I'll draw people to myself is not by my passing out information about how good it is to follow me. No, what will draw people to me will be my suffering. Calvary is good news. Here's what I want you to remember today. There's nothing wrong with finding an approach that is winsome, that identifies where people are and pulls them to where they need to be. But what really attracts people, what really is attractive from God's point of view, is the pull of the cross. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We were able to get a billion and a half dollars of new funding for Border Wall in this year's budget. Obviously, we want more. The president's asked for $5 billion. I'd like to see us get there. Uh, we've had a number of bills to try to solve that problem. Let me make this point about the end of the year funding for the Department of Homeland Security. When people talk about a government shutdown, they try to use it in a pejorative term to try to scare people. Over 70% of the United States government is fully funded until the end of next year's fiscal year, including the Department of Defense, which is critically important. In the past, you saw Obama use our troops as hostages to try to say, hey, the troops won't get paid unless you give me X, Y, or Z. We have now fully funded the entire Department of Defense, including giving a pay raise to our troops. That goes through September 30th of next year. So now all we're talking about is an important part of government, but it's less than 30%, including the Department of Homeland Security. That's where the wall funding comes in. So there will no, be no widespread government shutdown. It's all about funding the Department of Homeland Security well, and, and building the wall. And so that was Representative Scalise. He's talking about the $5 billion that they want for the wall, which to me is, again, we're talking ridiculously tiny numbers. They should be asking for the entire funding for the wall, all $26 billion in one fell swoop, and they should get it done in the lame duck session. But let's get some expert commentary on this. We have Carmine Sabia, Jr., managing editor of The Federalist, political commentator. Carmine, thank you for coming on today. Hey, Stacey. Thank you. 
All right. Talk to me. Why can't Democrats? uh, Well, why can't Republicans act like Democrats and the lame duck and ram through something huge and and impactful like one sixth of the economy the way they did with Obamacare? Why can't we get the Republicans to do a pittance, a pittance on a multi trillion dollar annual budget? Um, We're talking about a pittance at twenty six billion. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I don't. Well, I mean, no, I shouldn't say that. You're probably thinking the same thing I'm thinking, which is Republicans traditionally don't have the backbone for this. Um, you know, Democrats will go to the fire. Republicans are very shy of the fire. They avoid the fire. They they want the easy road every time. And you're 100% right. We should be $5 billion. We should be talking about the $26 billion. To me, the $5 billion is an appeasement number. That's a, hey, here's $5 billion, build some fence, and shut up. There you know isn't what I'm the, it's not the yeah. money we need. But isn't this the best time to do it? In terms twenty six billion dollars in terms of the federal government is not a lot of money. Well, I'm just trying to figure out why we wouldn't do it now, Carmine, because they're number one, lame duck. Yeah. Number two, what better illustration as to why we need a wall? We have five thousand or so troops kind of hanging out at the southern border right now, and I'm glad they're there. I'm not against them being there. But wouldn't it be better to have a firm structure there that, that, you know, it's not dependent on who the president is and to get the wall done since it's a campaign promise and to just make it, it just just get it done. And I understand the whole, you know, lily livered, uh, sweater vest wearing Republicans can't get anything done. The lame duck. But didn't they learn anything from Kavanaugh? If, if there's anything we've learned from Kavanaugh, it's that if you wear a sweater vest, it's fine. Just strap a Kevlar vest on top and get some stuff done. Mm-hmm. Amen. Uh, but we're used to this, though, Stacey. They're not willing to fight. They're not willing to go to the trenches. Uh, you know, the problem is you're getting rid of your Jeff Blakes and your Corkers, but now you don't have that. And, you know, this is this is the time. But could, could you picture Blake voting for the wall? Just to spite the president, he wouldn't. The other thing about the wall, though, that concerns me is you build that wall, Okay. From now until eternity, until it's done, Democrats are going to come on and they're going to campaign on the promise of, I'll tear down this wall. <laughs> and, you, you know, that's going to be their campaign slogan, tear down this wall. And eventually somebody's going to do it and they're going to tear down the wall after you spend $26 billion. Because, you know, when somebody made the point the other day, they're like, well, you said Democrats are interested in votes from these illegals, but illegal aliens can't vote. Okay. Two answers to that question. One, I believe there's been a lot of of illegal voting. Mm-hmm. But that aside, they come here, they have kids here, their kids now vote. How do you think their kids are going to vote? You know what I'm saying? If the Democrats are bringing you in, they're welcoming you with open arms, those kids are going to vote Democrats. They're trying to make this a one-party country. Right. And which which is the that would precipitate us becoming a third world country because the correct. Democrats are already making California into a third world state oh, right here uh, in America. And if you look at California, wildfires, natural disasters, uh, you know, utility companies operating with impunity, lobbyists in control of everything. And most importantly, environmentalists in charge of what trees can be cut down, what brush can be cleared. And, and you can yep. say, well, they, we, we don't have wildfires in Missouri, Stacey. Yeah, but we do have ice storms and we do have lots of other natural disasters that if lobbyists were in charge, we wouldn't have Ameren 
WWE doing the work that they've done to keep us, you know, in power. We have huge storms now. We don't lose power. Not 50,000 people. It might be a tiny little group, like 12,000, 24,000, who lose power for a day or two at most. In New because, yeah, yeah. And, and why? Because we have people at... I, Missouri's not perfect. We got some issues. But at the very minimum, people know that if you have Americans living in Missouri and they're without power for four days, you're going to not get your next uh, rate increase approved. You might have legislators lose their jobs from those districts where those people live. There's accountability here. There's none of that in California anymore. And Democrats don't care about whether or not that's here. Carmine, they just want to be in power. And it gets worse when you look at Ocasio-Cortez. And I she, I don't know if you saw, she came after me uh, on Twitter the other day. Um, and it's mm-hmm. funny because all her little friends, all her little fathers, she owns you. She owns you. She owns me by not answering my question? Well, she can't she really a own you. She remark and avoided my question completely. <laughs> right, okay, I'm not sure what this so, was. What was it about? Because I'm, the I listeners know, want to know what the tweets were about. Top of my head. Oh, I asked her what Native American uh, immigration laws the European settlers broke. And she said, how about murder? That's not an immigration law, and I don't think they have one of the books. And, well, I mean, I, I, but and, I think it's kind of a waste of time for us to debate. You know, that's a trap that the left sets for us, where they want us to talk about what happened with the American Indians. That's settled well, it, history. And I pointed that out to her, too, why it's yeah. stupid. Because back then, the whole world was colonizing the whole world. It wasn't just happening here. It was happening around. And I, what I, my point was is that Native Americans were enslaving, murdering, torturing, and wiping out complete tribes mm-hmm. themselves. If they had the ability and the resources and the tools to go to Europe and do that to the Europeans, they would have. They would have. Absolutely. They didn't do it because they couldn't do it. And, and it's not that they're bad people. It's that that's what the world was back then. And, to and, judge and anything it still is in a way. <laughs> I mean, look at what's happening in the Middle East. It still is that way in in areas where there's anarchy and unsettled government structures. You see different groups vying for control and power. That, but well, the issue is there's still a slave trade of Africans in the Middle yeah, East. Yeah, so absolutely. Nobody talks about. Um, but back to my point about Ocasio Cortez, though. Um, what what concerned me was I was reading tweets on her page. I like to do this from time to time because. As a managing editor, you can get stories just by going to her Twitter page because she's a fountain of stupid quotes. And one of the things that I've read, I haven't read it a couple times because people are taking her seriously. And I know Democrats have said this before, but it seems to be now gaining steam. She wants to, in this new green deal she's talking about, which is ridiculous, she wants a, a guaranteed federal job for everybody. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what that world would look like? They all yes. School, yes, I can. Sixth grade. Oh, oh my goodness. Federal job for you. And for life, because you can't fire federal workers. It's absolutely ludicrous, and, and there, there's an even deeper problem because we, we have a lot of Americans right now living in you know provisionally unaccredited school districts who are graduating from high school, and they can't even read at the eighth grade level. They can't do math at the, you know, the entry level of middle school, and those people do need jobs, but they need training and they need educational resources, and I would much rather see the government put some kind of effort towards funding 
private organizations like grants or what have you that you can apply for Amen. to get that work done as opposed to just universal work, universal income. Look at, so we've only seen the post office improve once people started paying attention to the fact that they had huge unpaid pension liabilities and they weren't able mm-hmm. to keep, you know, delivering for stamps, 49 cents, whatever. And I, I think the post office is fantastic. I do like to mail letters and see them get there in yeah. four days or less. It's, it's wonderful. But they only began to care about their customer service when private organizations like FedEx and USPS came around and showed yep. Americans what you know real mail service looks like. Then they came up a bit. I, I guess my question about about uh, Ocasio Cortez, and I'm not, I'm not I'm not kidding around. I know you might laugh, but what is it, what exactly do we think she's going to do in Congress when she gets there? Because she thinks there are three parts to Congress, and she thinks that Congress. She also thinks she's getting inaugurated. By the way. Oh, does she? Oh, does, oh you didn't yes. see that? Yeah, she thinks she's no. going to be getting inaugurated. Like she thinks that's how this works. It's not. She and she, she went to Brown? I'm, I'm just, I'm surprised because she actually went to a, like what people consider to be a real college that costs real money. And she believes she's going to sign legislation also. Sign it? Sign it. Well. Yeah, like in the law. These are quotes that she's made. I just, I'm, I just don't know what she's going to do when she gets there. That's, that's it's my very question. Hard to believe she went to Brown. That's, I didn't know that. That's very hard to believe. I, I thought she went to Brown. I, and, and please, if I'm incorrect, you know, listeners forgive. But I'm, she went to a real college and graduated. So that means she went to high school and college, which is more than a lot of us Americans. You know, there's only like thirty plus percent of Americans in total who actually have college degrees. And I, I just think that's fantastic because look around this country, you see a lot of people who don't have advanced educations who own businesses and are really killing it in this country. Right. And it's a testimony to how wonderful our opportunities are here and how smart people really are when they graduate from high school or I maybe I should say they used to be because Ocasio Cortez is really calling into question a lot of things for us, isn't she? For, for me a lot of things. I'm really starting to question if this woman could be president of the United States someday. Are there enough stupid people that would elect her? Because I read her Twitter page, man, and the people behind her, they don't care what she says. They don't care that she has no answers to any questions. They don't care. I mean, it's me, it was uh, Cardillo, it was a bunch of people asking her questions. She couldn't answer one of them, and, and people are like, yeah, she's the best. You just shake your head, and you're like, my God, these people are Lending going off a cliff. Very scary. All right, so Very let's scary. talk. Let's let's pivot over and talk about. Um, there's 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 a ton, but I'm I'm interested in the fact that the border patrol chief actually was on television the other day saying how not a single migrant had ca- climbed over the new barriers that have been constructed. Mm-hmm. So my question is, Carmine, and I'm big into logic and facts, but I also just love the idea of a big, juicy, beautiful wall that the president has described. Even with the $5 because I it's a pipe dream to think they're going to do $26 billion like he asked for. Sure. But if they give him the $5 billion, what will he do? In your estimation, will he harden what he's already put down there and so kind of take it from temporary to permanent, the, the uh, concertina wire, et cetera, et cetera, the, the parts that he's shorn up so that you can't just walk over? Because there were sections of the border where you couldn't drive over, but you could get out of your car and walk over into the United States, and apparently they closed those up. Is that what you see him doing with this money? I do. I think that's what he would do with it, yeah. Because, like you said, getting it, you've got to take what you can get. Getting $26 billion is not going to happen. I think he will get the $5 billion. I think Schumer's going to have to cave on that. He, he doesn't really have many cards to play anyway. Um, we're going to probably have to give DACA for that, for that $5 billion. And I think that's fair. I'm, I'm okay with DACA. I'm okay, actually, 
with the DACA kids getting legal status. Not not citizenship, but legal okay. status. Because okay. it's not their fault. Okay, um, okay. You disagree? I'm trying to calm myself down a little bit. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm I'm will Carmine, I'm willing to I'm willing to do it too. When the president brought that out earlier this year, I immediately I felt all I just was like in I was triggered. But then I thought, but if he gets everything he's asking for, it's worth it. If the president is able to get that plus chain migration, we're talking about the lame duck here. Arms need to be Correct. twisted, wrestled, broken off. Whatever needs to be done needs to be done to get it done now. And then when the Democrats come in, they can investigate and do nothing, which is what they plan to do. They plan to do That's nothing for the American yeah. people. They'll do nothing for us, but we won't need them to do anything for us because the president will have handled the immigration problem, which sets him up for a win in 2020. I think so. Um, but I think you do, I, I think, like I said, you're going to have to give to get. You're not just going to get, right? So mm. you're going to have to give something to get this because you're going to need 60 votes in Senate. All right? So mm. you're going to have to give something. And DACA, I think, is the thing we can all live with. Not Again, not citizenship. You have just to be, you know, you just have to, lawful status so they're not in the shadows anymore. And as soon as you give that, they're going to demand citizenship, Democrats. You have to understand that, too. Uh, it's never going to be good enough. Well, I so, think if the same kind of backbone that was shown during the Kavanaugh hearing, if the Republicans could summon that kind of fervor again and get through what you just described, I'd be fine with it. Um, then I think you probably would see something. So we have to compromise. I, I'm a I'm a true believer. I'm over here on the side with my AR-15 and my Bible and, you know, my Bible study friends. And I'm, you know, I don't like compromise, but the reality of politics is that you have to give to get and so i understand that the horse trading i think the president's really good at it and i'd love to see what kind of creative solutions he'd come up with but we don't have much time i and i i know government moves slowly intentionally but carmine what do we need to do tweet storms what do we have to do to get these people to kind of wake up to the fact that we want them to use the lame duck to get this finished you have to do the old-fashioned thing. You have to do what Democrats do. You have to organize. You have to call. Tweets are not effective. You have to call their, their, your local congressperson's office. You have to call your local senator's office. Hmm. you got to write letters, physical letters. And they know you mean business. They know that if you took taken pen to paper, if you picked up a phone, that you mean business. And that's the All kind right. of campaign we have to organize. All Unfortunately, right, you know, I'm not the bearer of good news. I don't see it happening. I don't well, I'm not I'm not here to try to wrestle good news out of you. I like the truth and I love what you guys do over at thefederalist.com. Thank you so much Carmine for joining us today. Your time is valuable and we appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. Take care of yourself. All right, talk to you again soon. God bless. You know what? Uh, I got a correction from a friend in the live stream. Ocasio-Cortez actually attended Boston University, which is also another real university. Kind of shocking that she's so illiterate, but whatever. We'll be back with more after this. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. I had a young man that played for me, uh, Derek Brooks in Tampa. And uh, most athletes, 25, 26 years old, are thinking about how they can make money and 
spend money. And uh, Derek took a group of, of 20 young students and just said, hey, I want you to stay with me. We're going to do some things. Uh, we're going to make sure that you see things, but you have to go to school. You have to really strive to stay out of trouble. And he took this Brooks Bunch from middle school and now the first group is graduating from high school. Looking at life in a different way and using your gifts in a different way than normal, that, that's what's important. Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. I was sitting at a motel, getting high by myself and looking at my mug shots, just started crying. And through Three Challenge, I have now hope and I'm free from drugs and alcohol. If you or a loved one are struggling with addiction, Adult to Teen Challenge can help. There are centers across the country and you can find the one nearest you at 855-END-ADDICTION or at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family Talk. The Awakening on Urban Family Talk. You know, a bunch of people who thought Obama was the Messiah. There are a lot of people who are kind of treating Trump like that. Bishop E.W. Jackson. Folks, I'm not looking for a Messiah. I've already got one. His name is Jesus, the Son of the living God. We put our ultimate trust in Him. All other human beings are fallible. The Awakening, weekday mornings at 9 Central on Urban Family Talk. Pyro to the people with Todd Pyro. Hey everyone, this is Todd Pyro here in Biloxi, Mississippi with Pyro to the people, asking folks here about what they think of the migrant caravan. You know, it's just so disappointing and it's really so disgusting to see how they're just taking advantage. I think they are trying to invade our borders. I feel for them. I, I have empathy for them, but they need to come here in the, the right manner. Immigration is at all time low. And uh, I feel like this caravan, it's been framed by this party as, as something to fear, and it's a, it's a political stunt. I pity the people. It's a tragedy for them. I hesitate to think that they're the kind of people we want to have living here. We've got enough people here that are illegal. Your sovereignty is uh, uh, diminished. We have to protect us first. I mean, you don't invade a country. This has been Todd Pyro with Pyro to the People. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Our immigration system has some holes in it. We've identified those for Congress and long term. I'm hoping that Congress steps up to the plate and fixes those to shut off the draw. But in the meantime, I'd like to point out that not a single migrant climbed over the new border wall. We have about eight miles of border wall completed here in San Diego. Uh, unfortunately, that's not complete. Uh, so the military came over the last several weeks to help us fortify different areas, but it those, it's those weak areas where we have not upgraded the infrastructure that the uh, migrants were able to breach. Mm, mm, mm. So that kind of means that wall works, doesn't it? Wall works. That's a t-shirt. That's a hashtag. Uh, I love that Carmine was telling us what we have to do is we have to call and we have to write, and there's nothing hard about this. It just means we have to stop what we're doing, put our phones down and actually, you know, go onto the website and find, hey, you know, where's my congressperson? Where's their where's their office? And maybe um, get three or four friends to do it too. Maybe the letter that you write, 
you kind of make a generic copy of it and you send it to a couple of friends and say, hey, you know what? Uh, I just sent this letter to our congressperson about the, the lame duck. And, and uh, I know you're you know politically minded and you definitely, you know, you're rendering unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Would you mind taking a look at this, you know, generic form of my letter and maybe adjusting it to yourself or taking a nugget or a kernel from it and writing your own letter because they're not hearing us right now. And they need to know that when they come home, for Christmas in their districts, we're going to be giving them the side eye and we're not going to be hugging them and congratulating them and slipping them a 20 or we're going to be upset if they come home for Christmas and they haven't done anything about the wall. It's important. And you know how it is. Sometimes you'll be talking to somebody and they'll give you an idea. And then months later, you think to yourself, oh, you know, I should have, I should have run with that. This is one of those times that he just said, it doesn't work if we do a Twitter hashtag. It doesn't work if we tweet and goodness knows why. Twitter is just rife with hateful trolls and, and, and barbarism. So why would legislators look there to find out what people want? They think the crazy people are all there. And so many Americans aren't even on Twitter. It, it's, it's really back to basics. Write the letter. It doesn't have to be long. It should be straight to the point. No invective, no insults. Just we want you to lay out what you want. Shoot it to them. Let them know. Don't waste this lame duck session or we'll see you at the next election when you're up for re-election when you're up for election next time we're going to be thinking lame duck you want a hashtag we're going to write a hashtag down and put it in a drawer and the next time we're ready to vote for you we're going to remember you didn't do anything in the lame duck you let the democrats run roughshod over us and we are not going to forget it that's something that they will pay attention to i plan to do it i have my little to-do list that i keep right here by the show during the show, I jot down things that I have to do, and I'm going to write a letter, and I already know the group of women that I am going to send this note to to request that they join me. This is so important, and it doesn't take long, and it just takes, you know, maybe 10 minutes of your time, and then if you're anything like me, you keep some of these nearby. I'm holding up little uh, my little roll of uh, paper stamps. I don't need a lot of them but I do have to have some here at the house. And so I keep a few and I, I how many do I need? Well, I have two senators actually. <laughs> Claire McCaskill's on her way out. Bye-bye Claire. See ya. Yeah. So I won't be, I won't be mailing one to her because I know she wouldn't vote for it in the Senate, but I will send one to Senator Roy Blunt, who I happen to know. I just saw him at the Trump rally actually and said hi. And then um the next person, the next two people, I have Ann Wagner, who was recent, re- recently reelected, and she's my actual congressperson. So I will send her a note as well. And I happen to know her as well. And, and it, it maybe even is worth a phone call on my part to her and one to her office. But we're talking about at most 30 minutes of our time. And if we don't do it, then later, how can we really complain if we didn't let these people know how we feel? Now, I'm talking to you from the heartland here outside St. Louis, Missouri, in the burbs. I live in the actual suburbs. I'm speaking to you in 32 states, 800 communities in the United States and all over the world via live streams on Periscope and YouTube and Facebook. And then obviously the podcasts, which are located at Urban Family Talk and AFR.net. Now, why am I pointing that out? Because if even half of the people listening in this huge audience said, I'm going to take this 30 minutes because this is my duty as a citizen and because God rewards actions that we take in faith. He rewards actions that we take in faith. So when we say, 
look, I've got this problem and I'm praying about it. We're all praying for these legislators. We're all praying for justice and, uh, you know, to be done in the land. We're all praying for revival. But when it comes time to take an action, we have to take that action and we have to do it because we know that God is sovereign and that he works through us as people and that he is waiting to show himself strong in us. He's waiting on us to take that one step to show our, I know, I know my God answers prayer. I need to send this letter so this person can be made aware. Look, I'm watching you, lady. I'm watching you, Ann Wagner. Friends, I love the new grandson that you have. I, I, your husband is an amazing man, and we consider you to be a friend. But on this issue, I'm looking for you to act as my legislator, and I'm looking for you to make sure that this gets done in the lame duck session. That is my duty to do. And it's no accident that Carmine mentioned that today on the show. So if you're listening to the show right now, you're meant to hear this, and you're meant to write a letter one paragraph plus salutation and, uh, you know, sincerely your name and your address so they know that you're a member of their district and write those two letters, one to your congressperson and one to your senator, and let them know what you expect during this lame duck session. And then you print out a copy of the letter that you sent, you write hashtag lame duck on it, and you stick it up on your bulletin board or put it in your drawer where you keep your reference materials and remember it. The next time these people are up for election, if we don't start to hold them accountable, we cannot be upset when we don't get what we were promised. And I'm just sick to death of these people running on all of these different issues and saying that they support this and they support that. And then never, ever, 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 ever following through. They don't feel like they have to. Donald Trump's probably the first man to sit in that office and to really be in charge of the party who is he seems to have some kind of. um it's like a sense of obligation to fulfill the things that he said he was going to do. That is actually a godly concept where the Bible tells us not to swear an oath. Don't swear an oath if you don't, if you don't mean it. Don't, don't do it because you're swearing to your own damnation. We are not supposed to go up and, oh, you know what? I promise you, if you send me to Congress, I'm going to do X. I'm going to help fund the wall. I'm going to do this, do that. And then they go and they don't do it. Of course, we know they're going to be judged at the judgment seat. Of course, we know no one gets away with anything, but we're still living in the here and now, and we need to be proactive. So I hope, you know, that that's not a dead horse that I just beat, that you heard me and that you're going to participate, and I'm going to do it too. I'm going to do it, and I encourage you to do it and to ask some of your friends to do it. You know who they are. You know those friends who will write a letter off in a minute, those loquacious individuals who they, they've never met a problem they don't want to surmount and, st- and put a stamp on it and send it off. Ask them to join you in this. Let's get this done. It's not too late. It's, it, it is not too late to get it done. All right. So the title of today's show is um, about this study. Now, I, it's just one of those things where you almost feel like um, you're going crazy. Yale study, Democrats dumb down speech for black audiences. Now, I... I'm not sure exactly how you hear me. You hear me sitting here. I'm like drawing a blank here because I'm having trouble because one of the things that I feel like is really happening to us is that because we have the media and it's all on the side of the Democrats that they're not they're They don't feel like they have a obligation to, tell the truth about things. They don't feel like they have an obligation to, um, to go into any, any environment and share the truth about what's happening. 
And so there's two things here. The first thing is it's a Yale study showing that Democrats dumb down speech when it's for blacks. Republicans do not. Now, first caveat out the gate is that Republicans don't speak to majority black audiences as often as Democrats do. So that plays a role in the, the, the numbers, but it doesn't skew the data to the point where the data isn't true. But you have to have that information in your, in your toolkit in order to understand what we're talking about here. And so really quickly, the, the, the nugget here, you have the soft bigotry of low expectations. Well, a Yale study proves that that is true. The Yale study organization is called Yale Insights. And this is their blurb. It says racial bias can put people of color at a disadvantage when interviewing for a job, buying a house, or interacting with the police. New research suggests that bias may also shape daily interactions between racial minorities and white people, even those whites who tend to be less biased. Now, this is Yale's way of saying Democrats are less biased. But I've told you many times here on the show that I have had some of the most racially insensitive things said to me by Democrats I mean, bar none. I'm not talking about Twitter trolls. I'm talking about real life people that I know who speak down to me because I'm black and they feel like they have a right to do it because they're Democrats. You'll have to go back to the podcast for all the examples. So according to new research by Cindy, Sydney, sorry, her name's spelled weirdly, Sydney Dupree, assistant professor of organizational behavior at Yale SOM, white liberals tend to downplay their own verbal competence in exchanges with racial minorities compared with how other white Americans act in such exchanges. The study is scheduled for publication in the journal of personality and social psychology. And what they found about Democrat politicians is even worse. The team found that democratic candidates used fewer competence related words in speeches delivered to mostly minority audiences than they did in speeches, de- speeches delivered to mostly white audiences. Now, this is documentable because you can take the transcript of a speech and you can look for the competency-based words and you can compare the number of them that were used in a speech given to a white audience and for those used in a speech given to a black audience. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty astounding. I give speeches. I speak publicly a lot. I have never once thought, oh, I need to like dumb this down a little bit based on who the audience is. I just, that's never occurred to me. Um, And I have spoken publicly to black groups. So, I mean, you know, this just, so here they say the difference wasn't statistically significant in speeches by Republican candidates, but it was harder to find speeches from Republicans delivered to minority audiences. But there was no difference in Democrats or Republicans usage of words related to warmth It was really surprising to see that for nearly three decades, Democratic presidential candidates have engaged in this predicted behavior. So it's the same thing that we made fun of. Do y'all remember we were making fun of Barack Obama using his Al Green voice when he was speaking to the black church? And every time Hillary Clinton speaks to black Christians or, or black groups, she starts using, you know, a little bit of Southern drawl and she gets to swinging her neck around and she cracks jokes about hot sauce. She keeps hot sauce in her purse. All these things, some of them are related to warmth, but some of them are kind of dumbing down the conversation because the expectation is that the audience is really not smart enough to absorb the information if it's given in the same fashion that it would be given if the audience was white. Now, that's some serious racism coming from the side that says everything we do on the right is racism. Isn't that something? All right, let's go to the phones. We have just a couple of minutes left in this segment. Eddie from Virginia. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Hey, Stacey, how you doing? Um, I have two comments um, on the immigration thing. First of all, uh, I'm Hispanic, uh, born and raised here in the United States. Uh, I love this country. Um, I'm in favor of the wall, 
Um, the only thing I, I don't understand, I, I haven't heard this before, and perhaps someone has said it at some point, but my thing on immigration is this. Um, why hasn't anybody uh, said anything as far as helping out the people that are here? My, my solution is this, or my, my, this would be an option I, I, would, I would put out there. Let's, um, the, the people that came into the country legally, they broke a law. They are consequences for breaking a law. Let's find them. Let's, let's have them pay a fine depending on the size of their family um, due to the fact that they broke the law. Let's help them uh, le- reside legally in this country. Um, let's put them in a probationary period, uh, you know, let's say five years, where they don't commit any felonies, they get to stay here. If they commit felonies, they get you know, deported automatically to another country. And let's use that money from the fines that we're going to charge them, that they're going to be fined, to pay for the wall. Why, why hasn't anybody said anything about that? Mm, that has been suggested. Um, that has that has been suggested many, and there is a fine that's already levied against people who are in the country illegally, um, and, and so there, the money that you're talking about does exist, but it's an appropriations issue, where Congress would have to appropriate the funds from the one incoming item to another, and they would have to actually write legislation to lawful make make these people who are here illegally lawful. And remember. Um, there was a, another study by Yale Insights where they were trying to prove that the number of people who were in the country illegally were less than 11 million. And what they found is that there are actually 22.1 million people in the country illegally. And I believe that number is really low. So um, the reason why that Congress doesn't really want to address this is because first you have to go back into the facts and you have to, like you said, find them all and find them. And once you've done that, then you have to report to the American people that, oh, I'm sorry, there are 38 million illegal immigrants in this country. And that's when people would, you think a lot of people retired this time? Not only would people be retiring, people would be getting recalled because Americans would finally come to grips with the truth about what is happening with immigration in this country. Thank you so much for calling and for your support of the wall, Eddie. Great to talk to you. Um, If you're leaving us now because I hear the music, God bless you from the heartland. Citizens, it's time to write a letter to your congressperson and your senator. And if you're sticking around, we have more for you right after this news from onenewsnow.com, which is up next.